0: Blog Radio.
1: Thank you for joining us at Nikki Dare Radio. On Blog Talk Radio, heard worldwide by millions of listeners with your lovely host, Ms. Nikki Dare. Our podcast, hosted by Nikki Dare, is your home for education to safety and survival, leadership and inspiration. Nikki Dare is the founder of iDare, Inc., a registered 501c3 with its mission to educate and mobilize resources for preparedness and sustainability. iDare is a grassroots credo and personal mission based on its pillars of excellence, integrity, diversity, adaptation, resilience, and empowerment. Ms. Dare's personal mission is to help you encounter your purpose by unlocking your inherent potential and finding joy in the journey. Nikki Dare is the published author of The Audacity of Veracity, a columnist, women in the field of Western Outdoor News, California's publication of Fishing and Hunting. Ms. Dare is a certified firearms instructor in rifle, shotgun, and handgun. RSO, Range Safety Officer, and CERT, Community Emergency Response Training Member, a FEMA Certified Training, Women's Advocate, Transformational Mentor, and a seasoned BPR Change Management Consultant since her early 20s in transforming companies, and decades later, she is reinventing her purpose. Nikki Dare's life has been spent passionately in helping others going through transformation, both personal and professional. And now, here's your lovely host, Ms. Nikki Dare.
0: All right, good morning, guys. Uh, glad you can join me again. I am Nikki Dare, your host. Uh, disaster does not recognize who or what you are. Disaster does not recognize your social status, financial status, gender, ethnicity, or age. Disaster comes in many different types as we know it. They come in different forms, whether related or man-made or even terrorism. Unfortunately, uh, we do live in this ever-increasing uh, violent world, as we know, and then we must uh, face this in so many different ways. Um, unfortunately, trend continues, you guys. There are disasters and emergencies that can be avoided, which if we can take precautions, we can certainly reduce the risk of the impacts. However, there are those that we cannot, as to say, unexpected mother nature rest and that's what we've been talking about all of this time in main, many, many different sessions in my, uh, my podcast. But this particular episode, I'd like to focus on discussing in the tragedies and the tragic, unfortunate tragic that we had just, um, we just had, had recently. Uh, we talk about Manchester attack, and then recently we just had this London attack. So with me here this morning... I would like to continue this discussion with my returning guest, uh, as you already know, David Gray, and also a returning guest, we in the past, and I managed to bring him back here, Mr. Patrick Garrity. And you will get to know him um, a little bit better again, those of you who don't know him. So I'd like to just go ahead and uh, let you know that um, Patrick Garrity, I'm so sorry, Patrick Garrity, a former Marine also, with a very impeccable background combined with his military and non-military. Uh, he also as uh, a Hollywood stuntman, whom many of us know from the famous movie, The Shooter. He was a technical advisor to Mark Wahlberg in that movie, as well as another movie. I think recently he did a sniper, uh, The Sniper with Tom Berenger, another movie back in 2014. Is that correct, Patrick Garrity, the year?
2: Yes. Yes, okay. It was a sniper legacy.
0: Sniper legacy, to be exact, that was the title of the movie. So, with all that fun in Hollywood, scene you can find Garrity also on the range. He teaches firearms from basic to advanced tactical training to self-defense with um, uh, a school called Defensive Firearms Training. He also just completed his bachelor degree in PULSI, political science in international relations. And a couple of years ago, he completed his master's in national security studies with focus in cyber securities. And currently, Garrity resides in Santa Barbara, California. And also, Mr. David Gray, this morning, we have him back in our um, podcast here that we want to discuss with him as well. Um, I guess... Is in the middle of the night or in the morning right now on the other side of the globe, uh, Mr. David Gray. He is a young man also who has such impressive portfolio from being a veteran from Marine Corps as well, stuntman in Hollywood also with TV shows among among the ones that he has done in the past. Uh, shows called CSI Vegas. I think I recall seeing those on TV. Great shows, by the way, and many others. He also is a published author. To currently owning his own international security company named Demos Security, uh, based out of Bangkok in Thailand. Mr. David Gray, hello. Good morning. Or oh, is it good morning? Good night? Good evening. Good morning. It's, uh,
3: it's almost 11 in the morning.
0: Well, Thank you so much for joining me. I know that it's kind of like a little bit challenging for you <laughs> to uh, to keep up with us here. And also, good morning, Patrick Garrity. Uh, how are things with you? Good
2: morning. All right. actually good evening
0: over here. <laughs> <laughs> He's out in Santa Barbara, you ladies. So, Anyway, um, again, I, this, is, this is just an important topic, you all. Um, we, we just want to continue this topic because it is hit home. And um, I just want to have a shout-out with the ladies also. These are the perfect gentlemen, by the way, to have on your side. When the things, I can say this, you know, doo-doo hits the fan, train with them. So I know it's a little bit difficult to train with Mr. J.B. Gray. He's out in Bangkok, but you know, uh, connect with him. He's got a lot of a lot of valuable information when it comes to training with all kinds of sort of a lot of them, firearms non firearms. Also, as well with Patrick Garrity. So, all right, it should be legit that I should be I should say this. That I feel safe arm with them right now. Welcome, gentlemen. Glad to have you back here. So, what do you think? What is going on right now around the world? I mean, you know, with all of these things going on, the criminals. I mean. We watch him. They're packing up more and more sophisticated way, I think. Um, you know, in the wake of Manchester Terror um, attack last time, we we spent hours talking about this Mr. David Gray on all episodes. Um, and then it's continuing on with the last week's, um, you know, London attack. Share with us some of the life savings tips, you know. I mean, we all know it only takes a few seconds for life to be changed, right? Dramatically forever. So, what are the things that we, you know, civilians need to be aware? Of? I mean, there's so many things. It's just overwhelming at the moment, right? So I'm going to go with Patrick Garrity first, and then, um, you know, we can also uh, take share turns with David Gray after that. Go ahead.
2: So you bring up a very good topic, basically, how uh, there's, there's two things here. How does one protect themselves against attacks like this? Uh, or increase their odds of um, not being in these attacks or surviving these attacks. The other side of the coin is, how does the government protect the people? Uh, because we we have that social contract that we give up some of our rights and pay taxes so that, the gov- so that we vote in a government that is supposed to protect us from anarchy and chaos. That's political science 101. Right. You know, but... But the important part is what you brought up. How does one protect themselves from attacks like these? And, you know, the the blunt answer is you can't because, as you pointed out, a life can change in seconds, you know. Uh, the, The one thing that people can do, and this, goes back to last time you had me on the show was situational awareness. It applies here as well. Um, if, if you're situationally aware as an individual, meaning you're aware of what's going on around you, whether that be somebody trying to dart across the street in front of you while you're driving a car or somebody leaving a, dropping a backpack and walking away um, in front of you as you're walking to a store or something.
0: But is that enough, uh, though? Is that enough to protect? Is situational awareness enough to protect, defend yourself in the event of this? I think, David Gray, you can also weigh in on this because you did mention something like this last time. It's beyond that you mentioned, if I recall you, on the last Manchester attack you mentioned.
3: Yeah, there's. you do have situational awareness is always your first step. Then your second step would be to kind of evaluate what's going on. In your situational awareness, you have to be a little bit premeditated. If you walk into an event or an area, you kind of got to know where your 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 best route in and out is, um, and where your safe safer places would be
1: inside that inside that environment. So you start with situational awareness, and then you start to
3: to preplan things as you walk in. Uh, Typically when I walk into uh, a, a crowded shopping uh, shopping market or even a street market, what I'm looking for is toilets, exits, uh, and security or police within seconds of walking in. It's it's just something
0: I look for immediately now. That's from your uh, experience, obviously, because that's what you do. That's what you do. You protect. I mean, that's what you do for a living. You protect, uh, you know, you, you diagnose, and you, you, you assess all of the situational, you know, uh, exits and everything else. Now, going back to Patrick, go ahead and finish your thoughts on the uh, situational awareness.
2: Well, that was it. There's, um, there you know, multiple steps here. You obviously have situational awareness first. The plan of action comes next, you know. You have to assess the situation because there's, you know, there's so many different things that happen, whether it's a a bus bombing or somebody walking along the street like in the Boston Marathon that drops a backpack, uh, planes flying into the building. There's multiple, there's many ways that this can be accomplished, that these attacks can be accomplished. And there's ways that we haven't even thought of that will be done in the future. So the thing is, is you want to think in generalities, um, just like david was saying you know you're always looking for exits you're always looking for an out very similar to when you're driving on the freeway you kind of give yourself some space between cars in case you have to shift right real quick and change lanes because the car in front of you hit the brakes real quick you know you always want to leave yourself an out and you're kind of you're kind of assessing that situation as you walk through it or as you're living through it but in, to to plan for specifics is impossible. You can right. run if the heck, the heck out of every situation. Right. That, you know, those are the steps. To take it past the plan of action would be to, you know, assess the situation further, you know, continue to assess, continue to act, right? And not be one that's just frozen in place. Right, right. But there's obviously... People that need to get be helped. There's emergency services that need to be notified. Things like that. Uh, yeah, yeah that's I want to probably the, the final step. There.
0: Yeah, I want to go back to the 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 really really uh, what happened in London uh, that that tragic tragic day. Um, I want to just go ahead and then uh, vividly uh, you know how it happened and everything. All right, it was it was happened in June 3rd in London, District. It was a van mounted the pavement of London Bridge, right? went through pedestrians. The van crashed, and the three male occupants of that van ran to a nearby pub where they just went at it. They went stabbing people with long knives. Now, eight people out of that, as a result, eight people were killed and 48 were injured, including the four uh, police officers, and they were unarmed who, who tried to stop the assailants, obviously. And the three attackers, they were wearing fake explosive vest. but obviously they were all shot dead by the pol- police at the end. Now, you imagine that, you know, when you are doing that. I mean, what do you think, David Gray? I mean, you know, we, we talk Here, about this at the Manchester...
3: Here's the first reality, the first reality that, that we need to face as, as a civilian population with a very large population around us is that it took eight minutes from the first phone call
0: It's a to long time and
3: stop physically stop the attack long time um, the, the eight, in in 30 seconds you can stab someone 50 you know 30 40 50 times uh, so you know they're, they're being able to run around and just stab random people for eight minutes is it's an astronomically long time it's going to seem like forever when you're Who survived uh, were they survived because typically other people got involved and interceded on their behalf. using you know whatever he could grab chairs uh, you know right. bottles right uh
0: What do
3: you think, Patrick?
2: I think uh, that's absolutely what it needs to happen. If you're with loved ones, they need to get to you. Need to get them to safety first, and then if you're somebody like we are, you know, that's that's adept to situations like this and can respond to situations like this. That's the best bet because, as as pointed out in the actual situation, the response time of law enforcement is is not very effective in these situations initially Mm -hmm. you know the 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 perpetrators were taken down by law enforcement but after the damage had already been done and that's usually the case so what what happens in that situation is you either have a bunch of people fleeing the situation um, you may have uh, a couple dedicated people in there like veterans or off-duty police officers that can do their best to try and control the situation. I want to point out that example of uh, the train um, the train terrorist operation that was on, uh, I think it was on its way from Paris, that was stopped by a couple of veterans right. or right. Active, active duty service members that recognized the sound of an AK-47 being charged. Right. And they approached. They assessed the situation, uh, came up with a plan of action, and uh, saved the day. Saved the the train from getting shot up. You know. So initially, it's going to be people like that that respond. But those are, as David mentioned, those are the proper steps. Get your loved ones to safety. Um, you know. Give them directions. Like make a phone call. Call the, Call the. You know. Emergency services and whatnot and and then if you're one of those people that can act, do so you know and every situation's different you want to try and co- locate close with you know uh, right. Figure out what's going on, where all the bad guys are. Find the safest way to them without drawing attention to yourself doing so. And then, if possible, you know, find a weapon of opportunity or take a weapon away and, and disarm and whatnot. It's it's not as easy as we make it sound, you know, no. in an in adrenaline infused situation. Right,
0: it's human so nature. We all get panicked, like right? Right. I mean, yeah, it's, but,
2: but there's always there's always going to be a few of those. They're willing to run towards the situation when everybody else is running away or standing there frozen not understanding what's going on you have that happen a lot in these active shooter situations in schools right. you know these kids hear pop 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 and don't think it's a gun because they're not familiar with that sound
1: right. they
2: don't do anything for the first 30 seconds until they hear screams and then they and then they panic and run you know it's it's a, and that's why the response time is what it is is because People don't believe what's happening in the situation. They don't realize what's happening in the situation, and they're not quick to respond. And then the adrenaline hits them, and they don't know what to do, and and they don't know how to deal with the adrenaline. You know, but there's always going to be one hopefully one or two of those people that that have been in these types of situations that know how to respond and that's really that's really what what buys time for the law enforcement local law enforcement authorities to get there
0: So you're talking about the train versus the non train and then we can sway uh, discussing uh, about you know uh, well because of your 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 background also in your studies uh, Patrick about the government how you know, it's not all the civilian's fault as well to, like you said, I mean, I just picked on my brain a while ago about the children not familiarized with, you know, the sound or what is that sound because they don't know what it sound like, right? Mm-hmm. What do you think, David? Yeah, that is the,
2: that is the issue. I don't, I, I, you know, I don't know how you train for that, um, but well, uh, other, than, other than on an individual level, uh, families, you know, Just like you would a fire drill in your home, uh, uh, you know, you do a home defense drill.
0: uh, Home defense drill.
3: You know, home defense drill, just like fire drills. In the the schools in the 1950s in the U.S., we used to teach (laughs)
1: firearms. Exactly. It was
3: part of the the, uh, the fitness and education program for recreational activities.
0: It was taken away. (laughs) It,
3: it It was taken away, and it wasn't due to any kind of violent act in the school. Nope. It was... It was due to, to you know, uh, bureaucracy and legislation or whatever, financial cuts, it could have even been. But, but
0: Department <coughs> uh, of Education, um, I think, I believe it was.
3: the people that grew up in the, in the 50s, they were fairly knowledgeable about what firearms sounded like and how they operated and how they worked and what the safety conditions were. And we've, we've moved away from that. Right. And now, uh, schools... Uh, they're not even doing the mandatory fire drills that they used to do. And since we started having uh, you know, active shooter attacks in school, they started re-implementing those fire drills, those emergency drills, and what to do in those kind of situations. And for, for me, as, a, as an instructor, one of the things that they should be doing, that I think they should be doing, is having a, a role-playing
1: scenario right. with students that are involved. Um, I because just, they, they need to know how to
3: react, right. they need to know what's, what's going
0: on. I just had a, um, you know, uh, an event, like a, a small workshop, community workshop down here locally, and then I, I was talking to some teachers, and then they were saying that, yeah, we just start implement the active shooter, um, you know, scenario uh, training with the students. And, of course, immediately I asked, like, Who, who's, who's instructing this? Believe it or not, the teachers themselves and i'm like really i mean how do you feel about that patrick i mean you know i i'm trying to sum up what david was just saying like you know you should uh, implement the scenarios and then you know role playing with the students and everything but how do you feel as instructors both of you you know i i'm an instructor myself and i want to heard that i have an mm, kind of like you know uneasy feeling about it you know i i don't know i mean you tell you tell me you guys
3: I think, in large part, the reason that the teachers are doing it is because the school the school districts don't have the budgets. Right. Yeah. I think. Uh, yeah. For for sure. Instructor.
0: Yeah. That that's that's the the you know the response on that. But you know, how do you and, feel about that? I mean, you know, I don't think that's appropriate, is it? As an instructor, would you think? What do you think? There
2: definitely needs. There definitely needs to be a professional involved. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't see how a local law enforcement should be charging a school to show up and do a demonstration. Um, you know that shouldn't cost anything. We we pay for them to do things like that. Well, that was
0: my first that. response. Like, you know, is 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 this law enforcement come to the class to instruct this? And then she said, no, it's the teachers. You know, obviously it's a is budget issue, kind of thing, right? So I I get it, but I I don't feel I don't feel um, you know, good about that. What do you think, David Gray? After, after the Columbine shootings happened um, and
3: the police departments found out how unaware they were of what was going on in the schools and, and, and things like that, they, uh, a couple of friends of mine, who, who you may know, uh, Andrew Andrew Neal and Timothy Lynch, mm. uh, started going to schools and doing training with the police. An active shooter kind of training with the police, and then involving the teachers, and then eventually involving the students, right. um, at least the senior level students, in what was going on in the training. And they, you know, they were doing it uh, for free, and they ended up getting a little bit of uh, financial benefit out of it eventually, just to cover their expenses. But um, then. You know that kind of had to stop because nobody can do something for free all over the country all year round. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, uh, right. So um, there was. There, I think that kind of thing would be beneficial. Yeah. I don't know that police departments uh,
1: can can conduct it just by themselves uh, because you need many role players. You need absolutely. Uh, yeah, you need you need some different some
3: different aspects that most police departments aren't even trained. To do as far as instructing and teaching, so <clears throat> it would be beneficial if the teachers and the instructors all took an educational uh, training course on active shooters,
0: I think or so. you
3: know, especially for teachers, take some firearms training, get some right. understanding of how right. things work. Exactly. And uh, and then and then move on from there. It would be easier for them to build a curriculum that's more realistic uh, for training the students if they've had some training themselves first. Uh, the teachers just going out and winging it without any kind of experience or background knowledge, uh, it, it, it sounds like it, it could end up being uh, more dangerous. More dangerous than, than, right.
0: Well, I'm thinking out loud right now as you're speaking, David Gray, because you mentioned last time when we talked about Manchester Massacre about, you know, it's a skill. You can use that skill. And then we also talk about the scenario where, hey, you see a gun during all of this, you know, um, uh, during all of this uh, incident, and then that's the gun, the, the, the weapon of opportunity that you can probably protect your students, let's say. Now you've got the skill. Now what do you do before the bad guy will take, care, uh, take over, right? You know what I'm trying right, to say? It, 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 in it, most of the
3: active shooter or active knifing uh, type situations, you have uh, three three typical steps that you can decide to do. You can flee. You can run. Uh, you can hide, mm-hmm. hide in place, and barricade yourself in place, or you can fight. So those are your, your typical options that come into play. And you can expand on each one of those uh, extensively, but I think that people need to be trained to deal with those three types of situations. Okay, how do you hide effectively? Right. How, how do you know when it's time to flee, when it's time to run? Which direction do you need to go? Uh, what other considerations are there that you might want to put into play along the way? Uh, and how do you know when it's time to fight? And right. how do you fight? And right. what do you fight with?
0: Now, without proper background of knowledge, like Patrick was saying, you know, like, Hey, situational awareness application, perhaps you know. I mean, all of this. If if you just give somebody something uh, that they're you know, with with no other application beforehand, and then just kind of go to intermediate or advanced, and then here you go, it can get scary and it can backfire and be dangerous. You know, injure themselves instead of instead of you know trying to protect protect them themselves. You know what I mean? So I do believe in training, you guys. I really do. I do believe in role-playing. I do believe in simulating things, not just a one-way discussion lecture, like you sit there and listen to me. No. I do believe in all that uh, interaction, you know. Uh, Role-playing is important simulate these kind of things in different scenarios. Like Patrick was saying, it's impossible to, um, to, to, to avoid these kind of different things, you know, different scenarios. But yeah, I mean, you could, you could certainly play it out, you know, but they're oh. getting so sophisticated as criminals, you know, so sophisticated. Yeah. And then, oh. go ahead, I'm sorry. I get, going, get carried away when it talks like that. <laughs> going, going back to the, the London stabbing,
3: um, there, were, there were several things, that when I looked at the map and the diagram that showed their their travel, their their path of travel, they covered almost a kilometer in distance from the bridge to the pub to the market. And in that amount of time, they're stabbing people along the way. Uh, and then in the videos and photos of inside the inside the pub, when they're when they're first inside the pub, there's I'm looking at this video, and I'm thinking, wow, there's weapons of opportunity all over the place, not just glasses and chairs. There's a fire extinguisher that's present by the front door, a powdered CO2 uh, fire extinguisher. Right. There's pool cues, uh, and there's cutlery uh, that's, that's about as well. So if, if, if they come at you with something like a knife, you want to create some distance, you can use a fire extinguisher. You could use uh, any type of insect spray yeah. or, uh, <laughs> that, that propels at a distance. Uh, it, it's, it's blinding. Mm. Um, and you can use pool cues, chairs, uh, st- bar stools to create distance between you and them and pin them against the wall until they can either be disarmed or taken out of the fight by knocking them unconscious or uh, just completely stopping them.
0: I mean, there is certainly a lot of people in the around that area, correct? I mean, if they can kind of like you know group together, um, but then again, you know, who do we to? That's so. What do you think, Patrick? As far as a weapon of opportunity and then creating distance and all of that. I mean, you're you're very uh, experienced in that too, as well. Training. All those
2: are sound. Tac- all those are sound tactics, um, and that's the whole fight part of the Hyde fight, um, you know, which is not only applicable in schools with kids, but, I mean, that's pretty much for real life if you're a civilian and caught in the middle of an an attack. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're far far enough away and can get behind cover, you run. If uh, you're even further away and it's only uh, within sound distance of you, then you can probably hide or or also run and hide. You know, if you're right in the middle of things, then it might be time to fight. Um, Last year I worked at, I think, I think schools are adopting these, these training things um, more and more now that these attacks are becoming more common or they're more widely reported on. Uh, last year I, I had the opportunity to work on a public service announcement short film that was uh, going to be distributed to all incoming freshman students at a college up in northern California oh, good. on how to deal with, with an active shooter situation, and that's exactly what it was. Run. Hit it. You know, how are you hiding? How are you barricading yourself in? And fight. What are you using? There's weapons of opportunity around. If you're in the thick of it, you need to fight. You know, those are sound tactics, you know, and... And when David got into the specifics of that, you're absolutely right, distance is your friend. You know, um, unless you have no weapon, and you're right in the middle of a situation where your arm's distance away from an attacker caught by surprise, then, then you know, if distance isn't your friend, then it might actually be a good idea to step closer uh, if you're that close, and to try and go for a disarm. But, that's something I don't invite it unless you know what the heck you're doing. So just it real just hurts. But if you're trying to save
0: a crowd and I think we just lost uh Patrick. But yeah, I mean uh go, yeah. Going back to you, David, I mean let me try to get him back again on the uh, on the phone if I can. I know you were saying that okay. to me. But yeah. If
3: you're if you're within arm's reach of an attacker with a knife one okay. thing that you should expect uh, is to get uh, to cut, call back to, or to get stabbed. You need to, to accept the I fact that you're going to get an injury to, a, to an arm or a hand, or possibly to your body, and you need to do your best to avoid getting injured into vital areas. So when you turn in t- and, and attack your attacker, you need to accept the fact that you are going to get injured.
0: Right. And
3: you can do every you need to try to do everything that you can do to minimize those injuries being fatal.
0: Right, right. We I think we mentioned that last time too. And all right. So, um all of this is just going back again circling back to hey, you know what? You need to get training. You you need to get training is vital in everything, you know? Training, training, training. We lost you, Patrick. You're back?
2: <laughs> Sorry, I'm back. Horrible yeah, okay, recession. great. I, uh,
0: yeah. So go ahead uh, but, and finish it so
2: up. If I if I can just finish what I was talking about, that is the first step. Is something like a public service announcement. There's there's quite a few videos on YouTube actually of you know professional uh, training facilities putting together videos on um, how to deal with active shooter situations and whatnot. But that's just the first step. You know you should definitely. Uh, after viewing something like that, come to the realization that you should probably look towards self-defense training, firearms training, tactics training, because all of this, it's, it's common sense, but if it's unfamiliar to you, it's not the first thing that's happening that you're doing, especially in an adrenaline-infused situation.
0: Right. I totally agree, completely agree. It can get hairy, you know. I mean, combat mindset, you know, combat mindset. Boy, we, we heard about that for a long time, and it now it's ever-increasing, like it's needed now. You know, everybody should wear that at all times now. I mean, we're, again, we're not talking about, hey, you know, let's get paranoid. No, we're not. This is the world we live in, guys. This is exactly the world we live in, combat mindset. I mean, you know, using that mental call code of awareness, right? So right. go ahead, David, because you want to say something a while ago.
3: No, I was just thinking... Um, you know that now that we're we're having all these attacks not just not just in the U.S. and UK and and we just they had an attack in Paris recently as well with a guy with a hammer and and, uh, you know now I'm walking down the street and and I've kind of been this way for years but now I have a, a, a four and a half month old son and so I'm I'm carrying my son either in the stroller or on a carrier on my chest. And uh, I'm always thinking to myself, well, what do I do if I have this kid strapped to my chest and someone comes and tries to attack me? How, how can I defend myself against, and defend my child against that attack? That's,
0: that's another good new, that's a new training right there david guy that's a new thing. training but it's,
3: it's, <laughs> it's something that as parents we got to start to think about
0: exactly exactly i mean you know it's unfortunate but then it just you know makes us more become resilient around us us more vigilant i guess you know but you know if, it, it doesn't make any any um value i should say if we don't Put this into training. If we don't put this into um, uh, a reality, like, hey, you know what? Let's wake up. This is real. This is happening. We cannot be the sheep. Like, <laughs> you, you always say this uh, before, right? We cannot be having this mentality, like, oh, it's never going to happen to us. You know, never going to happen to me. It does happen. You know, what if? We're not trying to create paranoia here, but you all know this. You all just great seasoned instructors in in well-rounded, I guess, you know, firearms. And what else do you do, Patrick? I mean, the self-defense. You mean, you do also tactics and then um, the rape prevention as well, right?
2: Yeah, self-defense, rape prevention, or, you know, what I'm calling now is women's self-defense because you're not really preventing a rape, and that's usually a, a surprise, or it's, you know, in a situation where you've made yourself vulnerable. So. Right. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, it's, it's it's all important. You know, you, training but, is vital. But, well, we, what we talked about earlier about how schools used to have, um, you know, firearms training teams They used to have, in sports competitions, and they taught firearms safety in school. You know, we've gone away from that, and everybody is, uh, the whole society has just kind of gotten away from that. And an example recently in Oakland, Was it in Oakland? I don't know. It was on the BART, the Bay Area Rapid Transit System. Uh, A a group of of kids, you know, I don't know how, maybe teenage or just a little bit older, uh, started robbing people on the train, a group of them. No weapons, but, you know, walked off with a lot of wallets and jewelry and whatnot, and nobody did anything about it. You know, if that had been in my grandfather's day, all of those kids would have gotten their heads stomped into the floors. (laughs) You know, but everybody's just very, very passive, very pacified society today, and all of this is unfamiliar to us, where self-defense and fitness and firearms is just very unfamiliar to us.
0: Because it's been taken away. a
2: situation arises where you have to call upon those types of traits... We don't have those anymore as a society.
0: We're I hate just, to say this, passive. but it's in control, right? By whom? Well, we know the answer. By whom in control, right? Society is more compelling interest in more control, correct? Is that? Can I say sure, that?
3: Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Also, also, I'd like to say that one one thing that we've been doing, especially in America and the UK as a, as a society and as a culture, is we've been making a big effort to suppress one simple basic. Uh, natural fact of humans. Humans are a top of the line alpha predator.
0: Oh, absolutely. And
3: that's what we were designed to do. We were given the intellect, the forward facing eyes, and 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 the tools, meaning our hands, our teeth, our and our brain,
0: brain, to 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 fight and take over other animals and kill. Right. And we've
3: been we've been suppressing that uh, and trying to be something, you know. Calling, I guess, or moral standing, and and uh, we we forget the fact that that's. The financial people. side of
0: it too.
3: Yeah, the, the legal side of it too, right? And and even here in Thailand, if you get involved in a third party defense situation, a lot of Thais won't uh, Thai people won't get involved
1: because they don't want to have to go to police and explain themselves, and then possibly have to go to court
0: and pay a lot of money, so, <laughs> right? Worldwide, yeah, um, I agree. I agree. I mean, yeah. it's just education, you know. the educating this this mentality. Yeah. It's so bad. Well,
3: I mean, in the UK now, it's to the point where okay, they they've out they've pretty much outlawed guns. Legal ownership and use of guns and carrying of guns is highly restricted or illegal in most of the country. Look I mean,
0: at where are most of the tragedies right now.
3: Just recently, and then they went one step further and started banning. Mm. and so because. now you can't even carry a pocket knife in public in the U.K. If you, if you carry a pocket knife, you're considered a criminal,
0: mm.
3: which is just, to me, it's just ridiculous, right. ridiculous. And now in Thailand, we're starting to see the same kind of trend where they start to say, oh, uh, it's legal to own it, but it's not legal to carry it, mm. And or it's legal to carry it, but it's not legal to uh, use it in a self-defense situation, which to me is ludicrous, ludicrous. And right now, um, when you're getting onto to the SkyTrain system here in, in Bangkok, the, the, uh, the elevated train system, the security is checking people. They're checking their bags at random, da 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 and they see me have a knife. Uh, I carry a pocket knife with me everywhere I go, usually just one, but sometimes more. And they say, they ask me, they say, oh, you cannot. And I, and I have to tell them in Thai, yes, I can. I, I know the police. I know the law. I can legally carry it. And then they, then they try to guilt me into uh, giving it up. They right. say, oh, well, why do you carry it? Who do
1: you want to hurt? What are you scared of? Don't you see
3: their security? and all this kind of stuff uh, but to me it doesn't matter none of that stuff matters because I'm not going to depend on you to defend me it's God's
0: given right 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 I,
3: God gave me the ability to right. defend myself
0: God's given myself. rights. Uh, you can make me sorry <laughs> yeah
3: so there's there's been situations where I tell them look it's not illegal I'm going to carry my knife have a nice day bye bye and I keep walking and and they can't do anything to me legally about it. Exactly.
0: So, so there's no fine, then, for, for carrying, like, right here in the U.S., where we, you know, legalize and everything, yeah? <laughs> have to have permit yeah, license? There's, there's there's no
3: fine for carrying a knife. Uh, you have to have a permit to carry a gun, and if you're caught carrying a gun without a permit, you can get a fine or jail time depending on the situation and the circumstances.
0: It's like a federal and thing, right? Yeah, the bribe and everything like that. Well, you know, welcome to Thailand. (laughs) Yeah, what do you think, Patrick?
2: I think these are all parts of the problem, and I'm a problem and solution kind of guy. You know, we could talk about this. All
0: day. Yeah, the problems. (laughs) But
2: nothing really gets accomplished unless there's some solutions and some solutions that our governments are willing to take and individuals are willing to take. Um, you know, steps, courses of action, just like training yourself, yeah, you know, but at the same time, the reason why the, we have to look at the 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 stem the root of this sorry the root of this problem why why are these attacks happening mm-hmm. and you know uh, in in most examples, not in all, in most examples it 's a basic conflict of ideologies right there's um, a certain way that a certain group of people think and it's conflicting with a certain way that an- another certain group of people think and because of that violence ensues hmm. there has to be a way for both parties eventually to, to come to the table and figure out how to coexist on this freaking planet without killing each other Right, and, and it's ridiculous it's barbaric And we're a civilized world now, and some groups of people need to catch up, you know. And it's government's responsibility. it's our government. We pay our government to be responsible about these situations, and they're not. Why why are there so many attacks happening in the U.K. right now? Because they took in a bunch of refugees. Some of those refugees even left the country to get more training so that they could come back and uh, conduct these attacks. Some of them aren't even refugees. One of the biggest unconventional threats to any state's national security is homegrown terrorism. You you can't do anything about it. It's a surprise attack. You know, we have to come to the root of that problem. Why is there homegrown terrorism? Why is there ideological conflicts happening? What is this violence all about? You can do all the handgun training and self-defense training you want, but that is not going to make this go away. That's going to... Right. They put a Band-Aid on things for you, but it's right. not going to end this. No. It's not going to end any of this. It's going to continue to happen. They're going to find ways. Even though guns and knives are banned, they're conducting attacks with guns and knives. That yeah. is not working.
0: It, it is so not. I mean,
2: it. Go ahead.
0: Sorry, rant over <laughs> no, no that's okay that's okay because I mean we're in the same energy with that and with yours it's just that you know why are they controlling that you know like controlling hey is a gun is a gun's fault it's a knife's fault I, I just don't get it I just cannot wrap that around some, my head some
3: of that some of that uh, some of the blame actually lies with the government firstly in the UK I can
0: absolutely. I can believe yeah
3: doubt. absolutely One, one, they encouraged these people to come to their country knowing where they were coming from, knowing that they were of, that, that they had no way of checking their backgrounds, and knowing that they were of what we would call a, a combat age, right? Between, uh, you know, 18 and 35 is a combat male age. Um, and then they brought them in, put them into government supported housing financed them by giving them welfare checks yes. so they were state sponsored homegrown terrorists sponsored by UK
0: you and, don't think it's going on around here too as as you're
3: talking about Oh I, mean, I know it is it is yeah. it is in there US, are there US. are very well documented islamic uh, jihadist training camps in the US that are all
0: Wow. Well, what do you think, Patrick?
2: I think this goes back to the social contract.
0: Mm-hmm. Our
2: government is failing, in their part of that.
0: I totally agree. Okay. Yeah, we just lost him again. All right. Well, I'm going to get back on him. That was interesting. It's a very good right. point, by the way. It's an extremely good point, what Patrick just brought up. Social contract.
2: Oh, you've reached my voicemail.
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, this. this is... This is happening also all over the world, you know. I mean, they're, they're getting just right. so sophisticated. Right.
3: Well, okay, so let's look at the, the U.K. Uh, stabbers, the, guys, right. the the U.K. So
0: terrorists. We'll we have Patrick back again. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> i sorry. The, okay.
3: The, UK, the U.K. attackers, <laughs> they, they came into the U.K. on refugee status, two out of three of them, came into the U.K. on refugee status, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and then they were all getting uh, money provided to them by the government. They were in state-subsidized housing, uh, state-subsidized food. They're all going and getting, uh, uh, what do you call it? Pretty much
0: taken care of by the government. uh,
3: Brainwashed by their local imam uh, to go ahead and And carry out terrorist acts, and the the UK government knew that these guys were doing it, and said that the reason that they allowed them in was so that they could watch them. What? That doesn't that doesn't make any sense to me. Why? And they they keep saying, oh, well, we allow these imams to keep preaching their their hate and their jihadist extremism, so we can monitor them. That doesn't make any sense. Don't monitor them. Kick them the hell out of the country kick their ass out.
0: <laughs> Excuse my language.
3: Yeah, just kick them out. Why, why do you need to keep them in your house so you can keep an eye on them? That's like inviting a burglar into your house just, just to see what he might try to steal.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is, just doesn't make sense, you know? Guys, what do you think? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Some of the things that the government does. Yeah, well, you, I mean, it, it
2: doesn't. It's, it, it's, it's all a part of that social contract, what I was going to say earlier before I Um, so, so, reception, okay, we know Um, the the government. You know, we pay to have a government that's supposed to protect us from chaos and anarchy, and uh, they are definitely not holding up their end of the contract, even though we are paying our taxes and paying their salaries to do so. Uh, This is the main thing that our taxes are supposed to go towards is our security, yeah, Uh, not. To, to study how fast a, a shrimp can run. Yeah, the exactly, a treadmill. treadmill. You know, <laughs> right.
0: um,
2: it's, it's to provide security for us, and they're failing. And, and what David just brought up is, is something that I hear over and over again with the FBI. The FBI was monitoring this person, but they always say that after the attacks. The FBI was monitoring this person. Well, why didn't they act on it? You know, and, and, and usually that's the case is because they want to find, you know, they, they're monitoring them so they can find the bigger nests. Well, we know where the bigger nests are. They're in Yemen. They're in Somalia. They're in Eritrea. They're in Canada. They're in the U.S. We know where they are. We're just not, we're just monitoring them. Well, we don't pay. Our part of the social contract is not to pay for our government to monitor these things. It's, to pay for our security, and they are failing in it.
0: So, yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, this is just not... Uh, what, what do you think? What, what are your thoughts, David?
3: Well, I, you know, I think a lot of people have been uh, banging on Trump for his immigration policies and all of this kind of stuff, even though a lot of them are the same as Obama had behind the scenes and, and the previous presidents had behind the scenes. They didn't publicize it. But, you know... Mm-hmm. I don't agree with yeah. everything Trump does, but I do agree right. with the fact that he's making people go through background checks before they come into the country, and he's looking at ways to get people who are causing problems out of the country. That I, I very much agree with, and it should have been happening for a very long
0: time. Like 10 years ago, and like 10-15 years ago, I think. But just 10-15 years, years behind, I think, in this kind of thing, immigration, I think. Maybe more.
3: It should have been, should have been happening 30 years ago. As soon as <laughs> Somebody comes in and they set up a religion of hate, and they start preaching, uh, you know, uh, death to infidels or death to whoever, it's time to go. You've got to find somewhere else to live.
0: Right,
2: Uh, right, right. What's sad is half of our country would be appalled with what you just said about doing background checks to come into the country. For some reason, half of our nation is appalled by that, the fact that we want to do that. The same half, I might add, that's appalled by, uh, you know, politicians that want people to show their IDs before they vote, like that's some type of racial discrimination. No, it's not. You know, the, the, the half of our country would, that's, that's what's sad to me, is half of our country would be appalled at what you just said about the you know, background
0: letting,
2: yeah. doing background checks before we let them in. Which just sounds
0: is. so simple, so basic. But, but so, wait a minute, guys. So you know, Right, but wait, wait a minute. When you go overseas, that's the first thing those other countries do to us, right?
3: Yes, that's right.
0: That, that's the first thing. You go to other countries, I'm not going to say which one, but you know every other country in, in this planet would say, hey, you know what, you pay, you know, even tourists. You're going to have to pay more. But, you know, people are showing yeah. up in our country here and they get paid, right? I mean, I can well, say this, right?
3: For, for example, for example, I just I just applied for uh, a visa to Vietnam. I'm going there on executive protection detail, and I had to submit my application four days prior to uh, it. Four, it takes them four days to process the application, so for me that means I got to do it about a week week and a half in advance of my flight. And yes puts in all my information in there, and the, the reason that they're asking for four days is because they want to be able to run a background check on you yeah, and see exactly who you are coming into Vietnam.
0: Right, right. And, and then you're going to have to get tetanus, medical shots, and stuff like that, correct? Mm-hmm. The well, no,
3: well, Vietnam doesn't require that stuff, <laughs> but a lot of other countries do. Yeah, what they what do. annoys me is when I go back to my own country, I'm an American citizen. <laughs> they have... They have you know, now they have the RFID chips in your passport. They can scan your background in an instant right. at, at the airport.
0: I right but, now. Because,
3: but because I've traveled the world working as a private security contractor in places like Iraq and Afghanistan and Egypt and, and Thailand and, and uh, you know, all these other countries, now when I go back, they take me off to the side as an American citizen and start to interrogate me, even though they've already got my full background. But the the, the Palestinian guy, the Pakistani guy, the Arab guy right behind me, with a non-U.S. passport, he walks right through because he doesn't have an RFID chip in his passport. Hmm.
0: So let's talk about that a little bit about you know how how you know traveling and then being. Well, what do you think, Patrick? Because I know you travel also across the um, Europe and everything else. Okay.
2: Um, i think that we should be keeping to the international standards that everybody else does it shouldn't be such a a shock that we need to do background checks you know com- with people coming into this country especially from countries that may be on a list of known terrorist training hotbeds you know i mean i mean that's that's just that's just common sense and the fact yeah, that people it is common you know sense. the 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 fact that people think that's racial profiling or something is ridiculous because, as David pointed out, it it is done to us when we go into other countries, and it's not necessarily like we're picked out of a a crowd. It's everybody's getting checked going into some some of these countries. Um, It's not racial profiling. It buzzes the crap out of me when I see grandma or a six-year-old kid getting pat-searched at the airport. You know, uh-huh. you know,
3: like, <laughs> right, <laughs>
0: right, exactly.
2: Just because we're trying to be politically correct and, and not be accused of racial profiling, that's ridiculous.
0: Well, you know, I think we talk about the Manchester attack, the guy that nobody, you know, suited with, with, with all bombs and everything like that, nobody said anything about him. You know, I mean, top security. Remember that, David? We we talked about it. It's yeah. Like nobody really wants to. Hey, you know what? That looks kind of unusual. That doesn't look right. Nobody wants to talk. You know, nobody wants to say something. Say something. If you see something unusual. Okay, a
3: large jacket, heavy backpack. Yeah, backpack. heavy backpack. sitting in a strange location. Nobody says anything.
0: No one says anything about this it? guy. You know? What do you think?
2: And that. Per- and that brings us back full circle to what we started with, with situational, situational awareness.
0: Exactly, situational awareness. Wear that in condition yellow. You know, you, you, yeah. you diagnose all of the situation in the around your vicinity, around your environment, and then it doesn't feel right, doesn't look right. You say something, right? So this is it's just... That's
3: to the point now where America. Citizens have less rights than immigrants coming into yeah. into the U.S.
0: I think so the, too. Yeah. Wow.
3: They definitely face tougher screenings, uh, and and it seems like it's not. It might not be racial profiling, but it's definitely national profile, national profiling, and and it's not in the way that you would think. They're not they're not profiling the countries that are known for terrorism as much as they are profiling their own people and wanting to know. You know, why did you go there? Why did you come there? They take me off to the side and uh, one, in one instance tried to question me for almost six hours just because I was coming back from, from Iraq. And I back said, look, I went there working for the U.S. government. I was there as a private security contractor. Here's the photos on Facebook. Here's the <laughs> videos on Facebook of what I was doing. Look at this and, and leave me alone. And tell okay. me why you let the, the, the guy that was on the same flight from Iraq with me with an Iraqi passport walk right through with no question.
0: Wow. Just like that, huh? Just like that. Wow, that's interesting. We just lost Patrick again. All right. So, um, yeah, I mean, national profiling. Yeah, we go to other countries and other countries don't, uh, you know the rest. I, we just cover that. Well,
3: in, in Thailand, they do racial profiling. They do it. And they'll, they'll tell you they do it. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I can support it and I can understand it because in Thailand they know the following things. Nigerians are always getting caught for drugs. right? Uh, uh, Pakistanis and, and uh, people from other Muslim countries are often caught with weapons and explosives that they shouldn't be having. Uh, so for them, they know it works. And Chinese people, they know that they're going to... Create
2: uh, those, um, some social some issues and, right.
3: and things like that. So they, they know based on the experiences with these cultures what's going to happen, and so they profile based on that. So racial profiling works to some extent. Yeah, I don't see why not. Why, why not? the U.S. Yeah. doesn't do it?
0: Well, we we have a lot of heart bleeding. I I don't want to go into details about that, but you know, heart bleeding. Like half of the majority, right, Patrick? You are saying because yeah. we have half of that. Yeah. Millions of other people say, no, don't do that. We'd rather be just like you know, getting killed or getting possibly getting injured. Uh, no thanks. <laughs> We're trained for that. No thanks. You guys may, but go go right ahead. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. All right. So we have a little bit more time. Um, and it, you know, kind of like um. Uh, try, trying to wrap this all up, then I guess. I mean, some, some last thoughts, Patrick.
2: Well, my final thoughts kind of bringing it back to the beginning is just, you know, in, in order for us to be effective at doing something about this, uh, the individual needs to take some initiative and, as we mentioned before, education. Our government definitely needs to do a better job of. Uh, you know, holding down their end of the social contract that we pay them to do. You know, because that is definitely not happening. Even though every year we increase the budgets of those agencies and um, you know law enforcement um, agencies, it's it's for some reason increasing their budgets, fun, money or funneling more money to them isn't working. You know.
0: Yeah, it doesn't have any effect. What about you, David Gray? The government
2: def- definitely needs to step up.
0: Yeah, I, I I hear you. I think I'm in agreement with you on that one. What about yeah, you?
3: Yeah, I agree. I agree with Patrick some as well. And and one of the ways that that they can step up is that they can also hold other countries responsible for the actions of their citizens abroad, um, and yes. also hold those countries uh, responsible for some of the screening efforts that are involved with. Um, people who want to travel to other countries uh, we we give so much financial aid so much medical aid so much uh, food assistance to other countries the least that they can do is give us a little bit of assistance with screening people that want to come to the US
0: yeah I agree I think you know with Trump in the office I mean he's been cutting some of the social um, also uh, assistance as well right I mean we saw that right. in the recent uh, what do you call that the the climate thing. I know it's nothing to do with it, but you know, he cut that too. Well, it, so he said that you know, anyway, I mean on, on, a,
3: on a personal level, on on a personal level, I think that uh, each each citizen has uh, do uh, their own responsibilities that they need to worry about in their life. Of course, their whole family and their their daily uh, their daily life, but they also. Have a responsibility to learn to defend themselves and defend their loved ones, and this is something that we used to do in the us before, and other countries still do it. Russia still teaches firearms in their school, they still teach uh, self-defense in their school. China still teaches self-defense in their schools. the us
1: for some reason has gotten away
0: from it. yeah
3: so uh, this is something that needs to be taught again, worldwide. This needs to be something that's added into the school curriculum, uh, or it needs to be taken up on a personal level. You train yourself. And I can't can't emphasize that enough.
0: I think the word control has something to do with it. What do you think? It's possible. Don't you think, Patrick? The word control. Control.
2: control.
0: Yeah, control. We, <laughs> I think that's something to do with it. Why things are disappearing, you know? I think. Uh, absolutely.
3: Uh, they teach safe sex in schools. Sex education and safe sex, but they don't teach self defense. They don't
0: teach first aid and first response type It's thing. a life saving sure. education. It's a life saving skills. If you if you apply that life saving skills, I mean, you can use that in so many different aspects of how you can save your, your, your life, basically. Um, I think we need to talk about that. We, we, we need to open this up and say, hey, you know what, guys, we need to continue. We, we've been there before, back in the day. We need to open this up again. We need to continue discussing this because this is life-saving skills. I mean, the more that they know how to use safely, properly, the firearms, the more educated they are about that, about these this tools, the better they are, they they begin to respect what, what it is, right?
3: Not, e- not even just firearms. Okay, uh, you have driver's ed training, right? So they, they teach you how to uh, how to drive and park and use a turn signal and all of that kind of stuff and wear the safety belt and how the ABS works in your car and how right. the airbags work in your car. Same applies. Why not include the first aid training course in that? And why not require people to carry more than road flares and a spare tire? They should carry a first aid kit in their
0: car. Right, right. Well said. Very well said. Education, training. I mean, it's very vital. We can say this all over again. Very vital. But you know, it's too bad. Uh, but you know, civilians. I, you're right. We do have responsibility as a civilian, as a as a, as a person on a personal uh, on a personal level too. I'm going to say this out loud. We have to share I mean, you know, uh, responsibility. A teacher also, right? To teach students, take care of them. You know, we as parents, we as social entrepreneurs, we as business owners, uh, we have a lot of responsibility. We're parents also. What do you think, Patrick? I
2: mean, yes, it's that's it's that is the key is education, uh, and yes, parents need to teach their kids. Those kids that grow up and be parents. Need to teach their kids. Uh, that's. Exactly what we were talking about earlier. That this country is definitely getting away from you know, yeah. education, knowledge. You know, in order to be uh, in order to be good at anything, or in order to understand anything, like a situation, that, like the situations we've been talking about, you have to be knowledgeable. Otherwise, you just stand there and freeze, and you become a victim.
0: That's right. So if you're not
2: knowledgeable on something, you're you're going to be a victim.
0: Right. Well, this gentleman. You know, uh, David Gray and Patrick Garrity, I mean, they're certainly the ones that you need to talk to, especially you guys, ladies. (laughs) Okay, we run out of time, as always. This is a great topic, you uh, you guys. So we need to continue discussing this and stay stay aware and stay alert in many, 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 many ways. If so, you happen to be in Southeast Asia, um, please do drop by. Um, You're in Thailand, Bangkok, right? Visit him, David Gray. Check out his website. What is it again? You can let us know how to contact you.
3: DemosSecurity.com, D E I M O S dash security.com. And, and uh, you can find us on Facebook under Demos Company Limited, D E I M O S L T D.
0: And you have also several, I think, Facebook groups uh, pages, correct?
3: Yeah, we have three. We have one for Bangkok, one for Hong Kong, and one for Singapore.
0: Right. Very good. And, uh, you know, he is a very highly seasoned instructor, you guys. I had the privilege to train with you, remember, decades ago when he was out here in the U.S.? Decades ago. So I, I'm really proud of you to travel a long way in your journey, and then you have your son now. Um, cute little baby. Oh, my gosh. He looks just like you, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> How old is he, four months now? <laughs> four
3: and a half. Yeah, he's growing uh, fast.
0: Yeah, you got to have to uh, start thinking about considering this teaching um, how to protect your baby when you're a parent, when you're a dad, you know. <laughs> That's going to be a great, great new training. Also, if so happen you are in Santa Barbara area, please visit Patrick Gary for some training. Um, these two gentlemen are only phone calls away, only Facebook pages away, and then your uh, Facebook page also. How to contact you, Patrick?
2: Uh, Yes, uh, Facebook page, Patrick Thomas Garrity. Uh, You can find me on DFT's website at www.dftraining.com.
0: That's about it. Yeah, yeah. It was
2: a it was a pleasure being with uh, David and Nikki again
0: tonight. Thanks for having me back on, Nikki. Oh, as always, it is a pleasure. I'm very humbled to have you both. The gentleman only phone calls away. Like I said, guys, remember, disaster does not recognize who or what you are, and it doesn't recognize your financial status or your title, your social status, and uh, ethnicity, age, or gender. So acquire proper training like both of you have been saying here, life-saving skills that may save your life and your loved ones. Uh, Invest in some of these life-saving trainings. And these two gentlemen can offer those uh, great valuable trainings, by the way. So thank you for listening. My favorite Marines, as always, thank you both for your service. Thank you so much, great friends, David Gray and Patrick Garrity. I'm very humbled to have you both join me uh, discussing this very important topic, and hopefully you can come back next time. All right? We all need to stay alert of our surrounding at all times, you guys. Stay vigilant. Watch your six. Until next time, I'm Nikki Dare, your host. God bless. Signing off. Thanks.
1: You have been listening to Nikki Dare's Radio, a podcast of sustainability with your host, Ms. Nikki Dare. To learn more, please visit Ms. Dare's website, education.nickydare.com Workshops on safety preparedness, situational awareness are available. Also available, the Transformational Coaching Series. For corporate and private group pricing, please contact us. She also offers both private and group classes and firearms training, handgun, rifles, and shotgun for individuals and families and home invasion scenarios. For details on Nikki Dare's outdoor hiking, yoga, and her other outdoor activities, and her passion for fitness and upcoming classes, please visit her website, NikkiDare.com. Join the community conversation to network and learn on different outdoor fun on her website, NikkiDare.com FreeForum. Follow her on LinkedIn and her social media, Twitter, Instagram, Google+, Pinterest, and Facebook or simply watch her tutorial videos, you can subscribe to her YouTube channel, Nikki Dare. All about her books and inspirational quotes can be found on her website, books.nickydare.com. Check out her newest website, travel.nickydare.com, for all travel resources, savings, and tips. Her calendars, both of living and purpose and passion, as well as her exclusive edition of Firearms Safety, are available for order on her website, NikkiDare.com. All of her broadcasts are available for free download on iTunes podcast, Nikki Dare. For more details on opportunities for sponsorships and speaking engagement, please email us at education at NikkiDare.com. Join her next time, living in purpose and passion. Our mission is to live a sustainable life. With your host, Nikki Dare.